Hello again. I'm Corinne Givargas of the founder of Mission Magazine, the first fashion philanthropic media brand. Welcome to our podcast called My Mission Is, which normally is hosted with my dear friend Charlene Spiteri, the singer-songwriter of the UK band Texas. Charlene's hard at work at the moment on a new album, so although I'm sad not to do this one with her, I'm excited to see the new album Texas launches, which I hope is soon. Our next guest is focused on fashion and sustainability and has been a quiet leader in the sector well before it became a buzzword, became trendy to be honest. I got to speak to Tina Lutz, the co-founder of Lutz and Patmos, and now her current project is Lutz Morris. We talk about her first job working with the incredibly talented Izzy Miyake in Paris, then on to Calvin Klein in New York, then launching her own line. Please do listen to how Tina has gone about from the start of her own business to be sustainable, also giving back and her support of local artisans. I really love speaking to her. Did you know vegan leather isn't quite so ethical as we think? It contains particles of plastic, which is far worse for the planet. I had no idea. Tune in to learn more. Thank you, everybody, and take care. (laughs) If only this was so easy that we could just pass the Zencaster test and be done with it but um oh my gosh and so you're in Germany now is that correct yeah I'm in Berlin right now Berlin wow wow I was just I've been um researching and look going through all your trajectory and it's and it's such a pleasure to speak to you it really is it's such a pleasure I've been aware of you I think I first I remember seeing your collection at Say Kashmir in New York oh yes 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 I was a, a creative director I had before that, I had a knit or a ready-to-wear line called Lutz and Patmos. Yes, yes, I rem- I rem- do remember this as well. Just, I mean, I think the initial thing is I want to. I'm, I'm cu- so interested to hear about is what was it like graduating and then going on to work with some, like Izumiyaki. That's such a great first step out of school. I know what a crazy step out of school. I know. I, I grew up in Germany, but I always knew that I wanted to study fashion in Paris from a very young age, and uh, I loved everything French. Yeah, so who then, doesn't? <laughs> and so when I graduated from fashion school in Paris, I, where I studied pattern making and design, I was so lucky to get hired by Issey Miyake for his Paris office. And the Paris office was kind of the hub for everything that was going on in the company relating to all the fashion shows were in Paris. The, the Jap- Japan team would come regularly to New York, uh, to, sorry, to Paris. And uh, I, my responsibilities grew quite quickly. And so I was for a little over two years in Paris. And then they asked me if I would like to come to Tokyo and work there with the design team. And I did. Wow. Yes. <laughs> wow. Yes, just reading up. It seems like, and I do this to my team, if you get someone good, such as yourself at Miyaki, you start to really nurture them and put them into different, you know, give them different jobs to do, such as you did production, you worked on exhibitions, you worked on the design side. It seems like you've got a real insight into how a designer works, their complete aesthetic. I did. And it was a very different insight, too, because he is the one fashion designer I worked for who did not look to the outside or he did not look at what other designers were doing. He kind of didn't follow trends. Mm. Our inspirations weren't, you know, I don't know, personalities or movies or 
for us, it was art books. Like I remember that once he gave me this Irving Penn flower book and said, please, wow. you know, design a collection of dresses based on these flowers. And so it in, involved pleading and, you know, which he's famous for. And, and that was such a freeing way of being a designer. And then later I doubled more into more the commercial side and I even did a little stint in like the mass market and there, you know, the approach to design is so completely different. So I feel incredibly lucky that I got to start right after fashion school by working for a designer who is, was truly creative and bending boundaries. And that was someone that you, you specifically went after him like he you really resonated to his to, to work with someone because he's so like you said he's so different to all other designers he has such a unique approach which I mean I that's such must have been such a pinch me moment when you came out of school to go and work with someone like that it was because this was also the time where the Japanese designers in Paris were really the superstars yes and these were the heydays of Issei and Yoji Yamamoto and so it was, it was like, it was in the 80s, early 90s. So it was like this, it's very different now. But yes. back then working for Isenyaki in Paris was like a big deal. <laughs> yes. And then you went, and then you went to Calvin Klein. I did. To New York. I mean, yeah. to go from, to, to go from the Paris, completely avant-garde aesthetic, lots of freedom to come to New York where it's quite conservative um again working for another master though Calvin Klein yeah was that was that quite a shock um well the city for one but just having working with a completely different designer in that sense was that quite a surprise it was I um you know before moving to New York not only you know like I said I grew up in Germany then yes I I was in Paris and in Tokyo but I also lived for a year in San Francisco and I went back to Paris and then I got the job offer from Calvin Klein and I have to be really be honest at that point, I felt a little bit lost because I've, I didn't quite know where I belonged to. I felt like I, I felt very comfortable in a lot of different cultures and places, but I always felt slightly unsettled. And so when I came to New York, I suddenly felt home. I don't know the city. Oh, I fell in love with it immediately. And it it kind of combined a lot of things that I liked from other places, but it was all put together in one city. And working at Calvin was, in, again, it was the highlight of Calvin's time. It was um, It was the time with, you know, Kate Moss, Marky Mark, it, um, it was, I worked on the CK collection, so that was the launch, um, and, you know, it was the CK1 perfume at the beginning, Kate Moss was even our fit model, and it, it oh just, oh my goodness, was, wow, and we worked on this, this one floor at Calvin Klein back then, it was the ninth floor, and on, it's, it's a fairly small floor, but, <clears throat> It had Calvin's office. It has it had his wife Kelly's office. The PR office with Carolyn Bissett and Lynn Tesoro, who was amazing. And then there was also Narcissa Rodriguez and Claire Wade Keller. We were all. It was just basically the heart of the company. So all the things that were happening on that floor were 
for me coming you know just arriving in new york i i think i was just flabbergasted most of the time um because it felt like such a hub <laughs> yes my god it sounds like you you kind of got catapulted into one cannon being at izzy miyaki then spat out and catapulted into another cannon working at calvin klein that must have just been so so intense i i remember when i um i went to central st martin's art school and i, and I thought i'd come out for a year work experience didn't have a job didn't have anywhere to stay but I remember a friend of mine had a meeting at Calvin Klein in the jewelry Mm -hmm. because she graduated from Ravensbourne art school and we got in the elevator and Calvin Klein got in the elevator um with Kelly Klein and my friend and I were just we couldn't move we couldn't move we were so in awe and you know it's like you see New York City it's on the movies it's like you're back in the you're in the movies you're stepping in it's such a magical magical city and it's interesting you say about Paris and Tokyo and San Francisco because that was one of my questions how you've gone you lived in so many different cities and surely the culture of a place influences you to some degree oh definitely yes I mean yeah but I felt like because I was in my 20s I felt like I really wanted to be a chameleon and try out different cultures and and see the world and that is the amazing thing about being a fashion designer is that you can communicate with sketches because when I moved to Tokyo, although that I did know most of the team, the Isemiyaki team, I worked with a lot of people who did not speak English or French. And so I would have to collaborate with them and we would just communicate with sketches. And I felt so lucky that I'm not let's say a lawyer, because I I wouldn't have had that freedom to just pick up my suitcases and move to another city. Um, I was able to, creativity is just, um, you don't really need words for it. So I really liked the experience of just blending in and being curious about new cultures and food and how things function. Um, I also feel like, you know, it allows you just to be a lot more open to different cultures. Yes. That's very brave of you. Really, really brave of you. I I came to New York, like I said, in my year out, and I was think I was 22, 23. And I found it hard, I have to be honest, to begin with. It was it was it was exciting, but it was scary being here on my own, not knowing anyone. But I used to think, at least I can speak the language here, but you went to Tokyo um and then to Paris when you were younger and it's it's very brave I think for and I I don't think people realize that that just you know have that that strength and that almost innocence that oh I'm going to go to Tokyo and get a job or San Francisco I bet you don't even think about it do you is is it the excitement of the the challenge (laughs) I didn't because back you know sometimes when I talk about it I'm like wow that was kind of really brave but I also think you know, growing up in Germany, you would grow up with a language that's not very worldly. And so from a very young age, you realize that you need to learn another language. You know, you know, growing up with English as first language, you're kind of lucky because you kind of can yes. get around everywhere. But when you grow up with, you know, a language that's not spoken uh, in many places, you have to, you know, you have to learn languages and uh and 
yeah, to become a good world traveler, I guess. Yes, yes, my goodness. And then it must have been exciting to kind of to, to do your own thing, to finally break out and do your own collection and, and work on, on things that you cared about. But I guess drawing from your experience with Izzy Miyake, with Calvin Klein, did you feel like I've got enough now experience, I, I want to try this on my own and I, I have enough confidence because it's a, it is a big leap I think from being working under a, a house a fashion house and going off on your own um it definitely is but again now thinking back it was like wow that was, <laughs> <laughs> that was very courageous because how many times do you think back and be like oh my god if I would have known that all these things are coming my way I wouldn't have made that decision but you know that's the beauty that you're quite naive and and it was also, I mean, it was all founded on the wish to do things the way I can live with myself. Because when you work mm. in the fashion business, I mean, you know, back before I started my own companies, you know, you had to swallow a lot of things that you didn't agree with, or you had to witness things that you didn't really like. And so it's, it, it was important, you know, for me, it really was like, if I stay in the fashion business, I have to do it my way. And that, you know, it, it started, you know, even now with Lutz Morris, I can do it even more because it's really 100% my company. But it was always about respecting the people you work with and knowing the people you work with and supporting artisans and producing responsibly and giving back, you know, to make it like a whole package. So that in a way, I feel like the company I have now, Lutz Morris, is, it's, it's really all about doing good for other people is kind of, the main goal and then the profitability and the business and the you know that that financial thing is kind of coming second you've just summed up why i did mission <laughs> <laughs> i can relate to everything you've just said, said so so well yeah it's it's and i think that's why um I mean, I'm, I, I have to take my hat off to, to Tiffany, your press lady, who, bless her, she kept emailing us and we were such a small team and, and my team kept saying, we've got to do this, we've got to do this. And I was like, yes, yes, I know. And then when I did, really did a deep dive on what you're doing and, and what you've done before, it just, it really was part of our DNA as well. It re resonates with us that I stopped styling because it just left me vacuous. I, thought, I can't, I want to be able to give back or do something more meaningful with my life um but do it on my terms exactly what exactly what you say but I just you were so ahead of and I I don't like this expression ahead of the curve but you really were in terms of the give back the artisan effect of supporting women craftsmanship sustainability you really were way 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 ahead of that because now that's such a buzzword mm. and people that brands are just kind of waking up to the impact they can have on the environment. And I know that this year you got you got awarded, you got the FGI award. What can you tell us about that? What is the FGI? Oh, it's the Fashion Group International. It's based in New York and uh, they have um, um, this event once a year where they award prizes. And uh, this year for the first time they had a sustainability award and um I won. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It was it was really nice because it's it's 
you know, you were saying I've been doing this for a long time and it's true. And I, I truly believe that it's, it's in my DNA because yes. when I grew up, you know, in Germany, we, we, we were recycling, you know, we learned that in, you know, in elementary school. And I remember moving to New York and I was like, wait, I am really supposed to put this glass bottle in the same trash can as paper and other ways. I mean, that was so against what I grew up with. Mm -hmm. And so, so for me, I, I don't like the word sustainability, but responsibility towards the yes. environment has always been incredibly important. And so I, I've always done that. And now, I mean, I'm glad that now finally um, people are talking about it. And I feel like it has, the talk has really been accelerated uh, this year. Yes, I think, well, we've all seen what climate change is, is doing and the environment is doing it's it's almost mother nature is kind of getting her own back in us to some degree with hurricanes and the fires in australia and in california it's you know we have to and then the recycling it's it's very very scary what's happening and i think it's you know everyone can play their part and recycling is yeah i've just I when I lived here for many many years ago, we didn't do any we didn't do any recycling. It wasn't we weren't educated to do that, and I think that's something that because you were coming from Germany, you, you were taught that at such a young age, it was ingrained in you, it was second nature to do that, and probably that was the organic way that you brought that into your work aesthetic. And I saw as well that you you did some teaching at RISD, RISD yeah. which I love. I love that place. <laughs> I think it's so amazing and. Did you bring a lot of that? I mean, the sustainability and, and the, um, being responsible, was that something core part of what you would talk to the students there about? Oh, yes. I think, you know, I feel like the young generation is is so far ahead. And uh, mm. um, I mean, teaching at RISD was, is part of my, was part of my giving back because I felt like the fashion education that I got was missing a big chunk you know that connection to the real world work world in fashion and so i i taught the seniors um and so the senior year the students get ready for their uh, fashion show and it's the portfolio and the resumes and uh and i'm still in contact with quite a few of my students and when i I did that while I was um, consulting for TSE and I managed to include some of the student works into the TSE collection. So I would create a platform every season and uh, I would invite two or three students to participate in the collection. And it was really like about giving, because you know, when you graduate from fashion school, it is so hard to find a job and just stick out in this pool of uh, resumes. It was also just to give the students who really deserve the attention something to add to their portfolio that where they could show, oh, I actually have, you know, had pieces produced and being part of a commercial collection. Yes, gosh. Do you do any of this in like in, in Germany? Have you spoke like do any teaching there? Is there any is I mean what's the fashion school like there in Germany? Is there I have no idea to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Neither do I. <laughs> I really don't know. I I knew I know that back when I decided I wanted to study in Paris, I knew that 
there was nothing in Germany that I was interested in. But I also, I really wanted to leave Germany back then. I didn't want to be here. And I always said, I will never, ever live here again. And uh, here I am. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to let you finish that sentence. <laughs> I mean, we came to be here for one year. Our son was 10 when we got here. And it was supposed to be this one-year adventure year to be close to my ailing parents and also to give our son the opportunity to, you know, understand where, you know, part of his heritage is coming from. And uh, one year turned into two and now I feel like we're stuck. <laughs> I mean, it was not a bad place to be during Corona. I have to. Yes. Yes. Do you think that now, because I know that you've got a lot of your artisans and your production is done in Germany. Mm -hmm. um, has that helped during COVID, like having production like in the same country that you're not outsourcing elsewhere? Oh, yes. I mean, um, for Lutz Morris, um, we source everything as close as possible to where we produce. So we produce in, uh, in Western Germany. And I mean, some... Some suppliers are literally just half an hour away from uh, from the factory. So it was very easy for us to just keep working during Corona. And, you know, it was more important than ever to keep work for all the artisans going. And so because we didn't, I mean, we get very few components from Italy, but that's kind of it. And that's Northern Italy, which is very close as well. So it's, it was very easy to keep it all going. So yeah, that was a big positive of, you know, sourcing locally. I mean, we call it slow fashion, right? Slow meaning that it's all really close by. I was going to ask you what that meant, because I didn't know what that meant. And I would imagine some of our listeners don't know what slow fashion means. That So that means not outsourcing, not like having less of a carbon footprint, I guess. Exactly. I think it actually started with slow food. So slow food means, for example, a restaurant that serves slow food means that it uses only like local produce. And so slow fashion, if you translate it, it's really just using local components um, and not having things shipped in from faraway places, but really sourcing everything as close as possible yeah so in a way you've been in Germany for that supposed one year has actually been a silver lining in a way yes now looking back absolutely yeah for, for the business if you're in a different country and trying to have production it probably would have been a nightmare with with yeah. things yeah yeah I'm a big believer that everything happens for a reason I never used to be I never used to believe in fate until I started doing mission and then it's it's amazing when you let go and let just the universe take care of stuff it sounds a bit odd to say that but it's amazing how things just come your way and, and things work out how they're meant to be that is definitely true for for myself and I feel like sometimes you're being put in a position where you you really don't like that situation and you're like why is this happening but so many times like months later you look back and you're like oh actually that was the best thing that could have happened Yes. No, I complete. I had a moment like that yesterday and I was like, okay, this is really crap. 
why what's the point of this and um see so, yeah, i just parked it in the back of my head and i'll do with you know in a couple of months but um i'd love to hear more about because i think this is also really fascinating your partnership you said earlier that it's important for you to work with organizations and i'm, I'm curious to know why you picked every mother counts because I'm, I'm aware of that organization i think what it stands for is incredible so how did that come about working with them so when I started my um, ready-to-wear line, Lutz and Patmos, um, which was all self-founded, I needed another job, a moonlighting job. And uh, I designed Christy Turlington's yoga line, Nuala, for five yes. years. So we, I started working with Christy in 2000. And uh, the line back then was produced by Puma. And, you know... Christy and I, we were both, I mean, more or less single. <laughs> and, you know, we were, we were the, the two people in New York who were designing the line together. And then we had to travel a lot to the Puma headquarters or to present the collection somewhere in the world. And so yeah, those five years we were, you know, we were, we spent a lot of time together. And in those five years also, Christy met her husband, I met my husband, Christy got married, I got married, Christy had <laughs> children. So we kind of went through these important, you know, life-changing steps together. And uh, for the longest time also, we had um, offices right opposite each other in the meatpacking district. Um, so it was really easy for me to just run across the hallway and work with her on Nuala <laughs> and then going back to my line. And when Christy started Every Mother Counts 10 years ago, it was uh, because she had severe complications during the birth of her daughter. And I mean, I, you know, Christy has the most incredible work ethic. I mean, when she puts her head to something, I mean, she's so dedicated and so hardworking. And uh, when I started Lutz Morris, I wanted that altruistic element, um, giving mm -hmm. back. And every mother counts, you know, preventing maternal mortality worldwide. It's just such an important subject because women are just, or mothers are just, so central to our society that it was kind of like a no-brainer I knew that you know I knew the charity I knew everything about it I've been involved in it from the beginning and that is really the important thing you know I, I for Lutzmaris it's really important because I want every decision to be to have a value to not just be like oh let me just pick this charity because a supermodel is attached to it and I hopefully get some PR out of it that is not at all the motivation behind it I feel it's important to just make decisions with the heart and be able to wake up in the morning and look in the mirror and hopefully you know and be proud you know kind of that you can live with yourself <laughs> or that you're trying the best to you know help yeah well, I think her organization, it's, you can tell just even looking at any, any material on the website or Instagram, anything they do, she's involved and, and she's not just the face of a brand. And, and that comes across very transparently that she cares. And, and I think that's where, you know, with organizations, if it comes from 
an experience and an idea came out of that from having something traumatic happen, then that's when you know, you know, someone is heavily invested in that emotionally and really, really cares to give back. And I agree with you. It's not, it's not a topic that's often discussed about childbirth, also having miscarriages. It's, it's still so taboo in this, in, in this day and age, which is, which is incredible. And the sad thing really is, is that the states are falling behind more and more. I mean, the last time I checked, they were on position 37, maternal mortality. It's getting worse, especially now, because a lot of immigrant women are too scared to see medical help, being afraid of you know, getting deported. So it's, it's really, uh, you know, you wouldn't think, you know, America is a first country. Um, oh, that's a whole nother podcast. Yeah. <laughs> how, how much time do you have? You have three hours. <laughs> oh, you just raised my blood pressure. Yeah. I just, yeah, the, with the new appointment to Senate now, um, to the Supreme Court, that judge is just, it's, I mean, I, organizations like Christie's are, are really needed more than, more than ever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, more than ever to kind of just have more support and, and a place, a refuge for women to go to. It's, but it's, I think. Um, yeah, no, but so what we did is we decided to donate a flat fee to Every Mother Counts. So many um, donations are based on a percentage of the proceeds, which, you know, if you're a business who doesn't really make money, there are no proceeds, so it doesn't really mean anything. Mm -hmm. So we decided to give $10 of every bag um, to every mother counts, a flat fee. And that, to some people, that doesn't sound like a lot, but for just to translate it, it's on some bags, that is like 8% of the proceeds. So it... Um, you know, it does come, you know, it does accumulate. And, and we felt like it's just more honest to customers when you have like an amount, a real fixed amount attached to a donation. No, I agree. And I think that's something that we've learned that transparency is really key when you're selling something or you're talking about something. And I think that's something that I loved about when I was looking into your work and with Lutz Morris, that you have the give back, you have the transparency um, you support women artisans and just from the research we've been doing like the Gen Z's the, the younger generation really care about giving back and they really care about the honesty approach to organizations and it just sounds like now I know the history of you and Chrissy Turnington that obviously was a natural fit of your brand of, of working with them what what else is are we allowed to ask what else is you know, where do you see Lutz Morris in a year's time? What else do you think you're going to work on? Are we allowed to ask? Oh, yeah, no. So I feel like, you know, because I just want to go back because you just spoke about transparency. I think why is transparency so, so important? It is because you, I, everybody is trying to be as good as possible, right? To dread as lightly, to, you know, live as consciously, you know, towards the environment. It's, it's incredibly hard and you know we try to do our best but you know even just as a person you fail every day on some level and and for brands that's exactly the same thing right I mean I I labor over every step so much and you know again we try to step so lightly but there are just certain things that 
are not amazing. And I feel like you need to share this with people because I've read this interesting article where it said that um, only 20% of consumer trust brand sustainability claims. And I understand it because it is so, you know, there's so much greenwashing going on. Yes. And, and, you know, already the word sustainability, I said that before, I don't like the word because sustain, when the moment you produce something, you're not sustainable. I mean, when you're planting trees, you're sustainable. But the moment you produce something, it automatically leaves a footprint. And so that word is already wrong. And I feel so many times when I start telling people about all the thoughts that go into my business, I feel like I bore them to death because people are kind (laughs) of really bored to hear about you know, efforts, you know, environmental efforts or supporting, you know, artisans. It's really hard. I really find it really hard to communicate it in a way that people can engage with it. Why do you think that is? Do you think it's because people, other brands have tagged onto that and and don't do it as well or or they're greenwashing that it's become kind of a repetitive conversation? I I think that's it. Like, for example, when so when I started Lutz Morris, I came from the ready-to-wear world. So I had, I had team members in my team that were accessory designers in my previous career. And I would be that, you know, creative director. And I would, you know, tell them, you know, what I would like in the accessory collection. But I'd never really done it from scratch myself. So I was able to go into a different design world with my ready-to-wear knowledge, but really researching everything very, very thoroughly. Like, mm. I wasn't that familiar with leather. I, you know, I researched vegan leather. I mean, I, I spent almost two years just doing research. And I, you know, I had to make decisions for myself. And then people are asking me, why are you not using vegan leather? And it's like, well, because you know, my research, vegan leather is an oil-based product. It's actually really plastic and it it doesn't disintegrate. And it actually is a really amazing marketing tool or whoever came up with that word sustainable leather or vegan leather really needs to win an award because like your shower curtain is vegan leather. Um, Right, right. You know, if, if if you go by that. And so... There are, you know, we constantly make research because how amazing would it be to really have a vegan leather? And there are some leathers that are now being made out of from apple skin or pineapples or mushrooms, but they still have a high plastic part in it. So it's still not good enough. So, you know, in that whole research, I found a tannery in Germany that is gold certified by the Leather Working Group, which is a bit like a gold medal at the Olympic Games. It's really hard to get and it's really hard to keep that uh, certification. And so after doing all this research and I spare you all the details, but this, you know, <laughs> this tannery has like a, it's closed loop. It has its own water treatment plant. It's, it's. It's certified up the wazoo and in the <clears> end, <throat> and because they're using local hides from the meat and dairy production in Holland and in Germany, we did all the research. And in the end, mm. it was more responsible 
to use this gold certified leather versus plastic vegan leather. Um, and so I really, what I really liked when I started with Smaris was that I could really, because I had the knowledge how the industry works, I could really ask a lot of whys. Why do you do this like this? Versus, you know, you grow up with it and you're just being used to doing things in a certain way, but you don't question it anymore. Yeah, it's like when that, that whole, that was fake fur. You have to have, you know, it's fake fur is the way. And then you realize, well, actually, exactly what you're saying with the vegan leather, it's also, it's actually more harmful. It is. It actually is really terrible because it, it, um, it, it has like micro, micro fibers that go off and it uh, no the whole thing is also <laughs> i mean i'm not i'm i'm i i personally don't wear fur but i also don't wear fake fur no no me neither but it's i didn't even know about the vegan leather it's interesting that you've just educated us all on that now and and it's a bit you know it's also like the greenwashing is that a buzzword that we should have done let's do vegan leather and we'll do it a little bit like this but we've not whoever's come out with product like that clearly hasn't done their complete research like you have and would realize well actually we can't support this because it's not responsible the problem is is that you know we're we're being trained you know that recycled organic is good you know or you know what is good what is bad but in reality this doesn't always represent the true nature of things because organic does not always mean eco-friendly and synthetic does not always mean bad for the environment so i think that's where it gets really confusing for the consumer and i wish you know that fashion would have a rating system, you know, like architects, uh, architecture has with lead or, you know, like for the leather tanning, you know, like I said, the LGW rating, it doesn't, you know, fashion doesn't really have it. So everybody can claim different things. Mm-hmm. And that makes it really confusing. I mean, I'm confused. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I've just got, a, that's what, honestly, that's what I love about these podcasts, that we get such an education and just listening to you you can hear the passion coming from you but but also that not just as a designer but you've done your research you know you know what you're talking about so anything that you produce you can back that up with fact that you've done that you have that first-hand experience and knowledge that you know this leather factory in Germany has been got gold certificate I find it so interesting that you've come back to Germany you left as a child as a youngster rather Mm -hmm learned about sustainability growing up and has come back to develop it even more being responsible and working with artisans in Germany. It's, it's, it's quite, it's, we, always, we always end up back home, as someone said to me recently. It's interesting because I was so anti-German and now I make a product that is completely <laughs> made in Germany. But I think also I have to say that we are in Berlin. And so I think like New York is not the States. Berlin is not Germany. So I feel like Berlin is a really good equivalent to New York. It's super international and, you know, interesting and and uh, multicultural. And, you know, it's still a city where artists and young people can afford to live. So it has a, a vibrancy that I love. Yes. Do you, do you did before COVID hit, did you travel much to the other cities for work? Was that something part of? Oh, that was the amazing thing because I lived in New York for 24 years and Whenever I would go to Europe, I, I would have to go to, you know, the fairs and, you know, the fabric fairs, the yarn fairs and all that stuff. 
I would always know Paris or Milan with a slight shed leg. And now before COVID, I mean, it, you know, it's like I, I mean, if I wanted to, I could go to Paris for the day because it's so easy. It's like, you know, it's like a 50 minute flight and, you know, you could go in the morning and the evening. That's not very ecological, let's say, but, you know, it's kind of really nice to be in Europe and to travel that easily. All these beautiful places that, you know, for the longest time I had the Atlantic in between. Yes. Yes, I go to Paris like 50 minutes and you've got a different culture. Yeah, exactly. And a fresh set of inspiration. It's, um, yeah, I used to go to Paris for the shows when I was a stylist and I always find it very, very difficult because it was during fashion weeks, which were just so intense and I didn't really get a lot of joy out of them. And when I've gone from the mission, I've, I've seen Paris such a different light. So when, you, when you're not bouncing around from appointments to appointments, you don't get to enjoy the city and what it has to offer. And it's so wonderful. Just I spent a day researching in, in back in December and just getting pit stops along the way with a croissant or a bit of French stick. It was just wonderful. Oh, I, I, I mean, I, I have to have my Paris days. I have to have a few every year where I just have like two, three days where I stroll around and go to new places or museums. I love it. I miss it. I haven't. I haven't gone this year. Yeah. No, I think we all we all miss it. We all miss the travel and just to do something differently. But Tina, I have to say, it's, it's, I I could talk to you forever. It's, <laughs> this has been so brilliant, so brilliant. I love everything you're doing. Is so aligned to what I believe in. What I'm trying to achieve with mission is just that having that showing responsibility, having that education element to it um and just connecting to people that i think are one i think you're really cool and i love your aesthetic but i can tell it's from the heart from what you do and you're passionate and just the responsibility angle i mean i think the fgi if they listen to this you should have got this award years ago (laughs) (laughs) thank you but you know i think it's it's you know it's it's not just the responsibility but it's also just you know i love classic pieces that i can wear time and time again season after season so You know, I feel like these are the hardworking items that, you know, go way beyond trends and outlast fads and, you know, may also make everyday dressing so easy. Yes, And that's what I really wanted to do with Lutz Morris, which, you know, create a line of accessories that are not trendy. There are no logos. I mean, there are tiny logos, but they're always in the back of the back. And um, just things that are you know, not tied to a season that are not a fad. They're just, you know, workhorses that you can have for years. And, you know, we offer also repair services and refurbishing. And, you know, it's so important. I feel like it's so important to buy better, buy less, buy better. And, you know, hopefully, you know, you know, we can contribute to that. Yes. Well, that's two key components. You've, I mean, I love when I was looking at the collection you've done, the bag collection. It's I've never been a, a fan of logos. And, and there's longevity with, you know, if you buy Lutz Morris bag, it's a timeless piece. And the fact that you offer as well repairs that you can just keep the product for as long as possible till the whole thing completely disintegrates. Yeah, it's, it's brilliant. You know, you you'd think a lot of brands should offer that more so that you keep the product and you don't you know they say that don't they buy less but buy but buy well it's i think that's a good any customers or people looking to buy something to go to Lutz Morris and that's how that's how everyone can do their part to start with instead of 
the, the trendy, trendy logo stuff. Yes, exactly. So, and you know, because I spend a, a lot of time in the factory and also at the tannery, and I know every single person who works on the bags, and I know how much love and care they put into every step along the production. It's like a labor of love, and I really hope that, you know, comes across. Yes. No, I hope so too. Well, thank you so much. I've taken up too much of your time already. It's been brilliant. I love chatting with you. You too. <laughs> I you. really do. I really do. And I, I'm going to actually tell everybody to listen to this and get an education on the leather and vegan leather. I think that's fantastic to know because I had no idea. So, Tina, thank you so, so much. And thank I, I, you. I wish you the best the rest of the year and good luck with everything. Yes, and hopefully we can be in the same city soon and meet. That would be lovely. Mm -hmm. That would be lovely. Thank you for listening to our podcast with Tina. Isn't she amazing? I love chatting to her, so she'll be doing another one with us soon, I hope. Next up, we have someone I have known for quite a while. This amazingly talented and kind soul shot our first ever cover images as we were bringing Mission to life some years ago now. It's been amazing to watch his career just grow and grow and grow, and yet he still remains humble and grounded and more rooted in philanthropy than ever. Our next guest is quite a fun conversation with someone I call a friend, a great photographer who has photographed really the creme de la creme from Jennifer Aniston to Demi Lovato, Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, but he's also passed off history when he photographed Prince Harry and Meghan Markle's engagement and then their wedding. Please tune in to listen to our next podcast with photographer Alexi Livomirsky. Thank you for always listening, everybody. Keep well and be safe. <music>